Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. I would like to welcome to the program very good friend of mine, technically my cousin. Not necessarily blood cousin, but through marriage. It's a good, good friend of mine. He just got a degree in economics and business from the University of Puget Sound, currently working at Willis Ree in the greater Seattle metropolitan area, based in Philadelphia, but a financial consultant in the greater Seattle area, lives in the fine city of Seattle at this point in time. Like I said, my cousin, very good friend of mine, Ricky Howard, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sam. I'm excited to be here. It's going to be a good time. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Sit down, talk some sports. I haven't even, I haven't really spoken to you in a while, so this is a real a real joy, not just to chat with you, but to, to get you yeah. on the show and, and to spew some sports. It's going to be a great time. Catch up a little bit, talk some sports. All a good time, I think. Yeah. Yes, everybody wins. Um, <laughs> yep. Okay, let's, I, I, I like my Sixers, like talking about the Sixers, like ripping them apart. There's plenty to rip apart with them because of uh, the amazing play that they have on their court these days. <laughs> a little sarcasm. Yeah. Huh? Well, there huh? it is. Yeah, I heard that. Um, so I want to hit you up with a question. Uh, I have, I always have questions with this team, and I like to get other people's thoughts on these questions that I have. So the big men that they have. They have Nerlens Noel. They got Jaleel Okafor. And then hopefully at some point in the near future, Joel Embiid will be playing for the team as well. Um, initial question I just like to throw out there is, of these three guys – which one of them gets moved first? How long are they going to stay? And then inevitably, I think one of these guys is going to be an asset that goes somewhere else. Do you have an opinion? Who who are these guys going to move first? Yeah, I mean, I think any of them could. At, at this point, I think that any player on that roster is expendable, it seems like. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're not really treating players like players. They're just treating them like assets, trying to get. And it's just weird how they're functioning right now. They're not like trying to get a base in anything. They're just getting players and then getting more draft picks and keeping moving forward with that. And I don't know what the strategy, like it, I know what the strategy is and I know it's like theoretically it makes sense, but at some point you have to pick somebody to be your player. And you know, they have got, they have a lot of talent. It's a lot of young talent. Um, you just don't know. It's hard to know who's like the player when your team is that bad. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and these guys, I think, I think at some point there was an an aspiration by the Hinky regime that one of these three guys, these draft picks. I mean, Nerlens Noel wasn't exactly the draft pick they traded for him. Then you've got the Joel Embiid, the Jaleel Okafor, the high draft picks. Probably mm-hmm. another one coming next season. Um, I think they're hoping that one of these guys can be that sort of core or that baseline franchise player that they can build around. But I still think that right now, all of them are big question marks. I mean, do you think that they're, cause I agree with you. I think all of them are expendable at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I think the biggest question, especially on a team that the, is playing at this level, you know, right now mm-hmm. it's hard. It's, you see it. Like I, I think DeMarcus cousins is kind of a comparable person where he's on a, he's been on a bad team his mm-hmm. whole career. Mm-hmm. And they haven't, you know, he's clearly like a huge talent. Mm-hmm. But you also are like, if he's that good of a player, also Anthony Davis this year, if, if they're that good of players, you'd think their team would be making the playoffs, be performing better. So it's hard, it's, it's hard to find that, separate out the stats from 
the the wins. I mean, you're you're yeah. talking about these players being amazing and not equating to W's. Yeah, so you don't know if the stats that they're putting up are from them being great players or mm-hmm. if it's from them being on a bad team getting a lot of opportunity. Mm-hmm. So I think that's it's so hard to know especially on the Sixers like you know you, I mean I don't even know what's going on. You watch that team it doesn't look like a team. It's just like they're running up and down the court, they're playing fast-paced, throwing the ball. Lots of turnovers. turnovers. Yeah. I think and that comes from point guard play too and you need to have somebody and I mean maybe Ish Smith is kind of that player but it helps you can't I mean especially now the you know the way the NBA is moving um big men are secondary they're not gonna you know they're you're not gonna throw it through them every time down the mm-hmm. court so mm-hmm. you need to have a point guard that can run a pick and roll with them and mm-hmm. um it's just hard to know you can't know which of these players like they all they all clearly have a lot of talent yeah I mean Joel Embiid I mean, he's, he's the kind big, of, yeah. I, I mean, he could be. I mean, there was a. Do you agree that there was a feeling that he would have been better, better than Julia Okafor? Well, I think he was. I mean, when he came out of the draft, he was like, I thought he was the best talent in the draft. Clearly, yeah. And I think Hinky felt the same way too when he saw the injury. He was like, "We're going to scoop this guy up, scoop him up." But then, the history with big men and foot injuries kind of it, it's horrible. You know, you can, Yao Ming, yeah, all the way. Back to Bill Walton, Zadrunas Elgoskis, Zadrun. Yeah, and uh, you know it's just you don't. It's it's too bad because you know you see it like he got ripped. And he got he's huge and he's like looks in great shape and he's like shooting threes and in, in warmups and stuff. And then he just uh, you don't know if he's ever gonna play. Yeah, yeah. I just um I just recently got a mention, got a mailbag question on my show. This guy said how um Joel Embiid is like the second coming of Andrew Bynum. <laughs> it's a yeah. pretty tough indictment considering at it's least tough, but it's that we also, haven't I mean, seen him beat on the floor at all yeah yeah i mean i mean that one if like he gets healthy if he can play he might be you know and the next great big man but yeah that's it, like in the league is shifting away from big men yeah that's true and that might be part of the reason why i keep you know going to demarcus and anthony davis like they're they can't make their teams great because you need other pieces. Like, you know, the big man is not going to be the focus. And that's why they're all starting, like these guys are shooting threes now. And, you know, just like that is becoming the, you know, focus of every offense. That's the the norm, that stretch four, that Draymond Green, that Chris Bosh step out beyond the arc. Yep. It's the, it's the, who's the guy out in Boston? Jared Sollinger, yeah, they got Kelly. I mean, Boston's got everybody. Everybody shoots the three there. You know, you want to talk about a team that shoots the three? Golden State Warriors. Everybody shoots the three out there. (laughs) They're just letting it fly from everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. To uh, to come back to the Sixers for uh, just a second, you mentioned Mm -hmm. that. uh, Now, to come back to that question of which of these guys gets moved first, I guess the 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 real question, the real answer is that you know one, it has to be which one of them is a centerpiece, and none of them are a centerpiece Mm -hmm. right now. Maybe one of them can be in due time, but you mentioned Ish Smith and the point guard play, and uh, and I think um, one of the reasons they brought Ish Smith to the team was because they really had no point guard play before him. None. Isaiah Kanan, who's decent, not as good as Ish Smith, and undrafted rookie T.J. McConnell. So, 
at least trying somebody out with Ish Smith, at least getting somebody who can facilitate the ball to Nerlens Noel and Jaleel Okafor. It just made the offense go. You know, and and mm-hmm. my last question is, let's just throw it out there. Is Ish Smith the answer at point guard for the long term? You know, I mean, what is he? Is he 27 right now? Uh, I will check. I, th- I think around there. Um, I mean, I've seen him play, I and mean, he was on the Bucks for a while, and I always kind of liked what I saw. Um, he's twenty-seven. Cool, nailed it there. <laughs> nailed it. Um, yeah, I don't. It's it's just so hard. I mean, it comes back to the thing. It all. It, if you put him on a better team, you're gonna see him play better. And if you put these big men, you know, if say it's just hypothetically, you put you know, Julio Okafor on the Spurs this year, you know, or something, you know, let him develop in a better environment. It's going to make everybody, he's going to make him better because the team is going to be playing a better team, a better brand of basketball. Um, So, you know, Ish Smith is, you know, he's has the ball in his hands the whole time. He's going to look good right now, but it's hard to know if he, if, you know, the offense is going to be efficient with like efficient enough with him going forward um i mean he's he's definitely a guy you want you can have on your team but yeah i think a few championship bound teams would love to have a guy like ish smith coming off the bench for them mm-hmm. yeah you know, to back up an all-star point guard yeah he's i mean i think he's i mean i don't know if he's a like, he's not like the franchise point guard but he's a talent that you can't it's not bad and you i think that's the key for the Sixers to start bringing in more guys that can play better basketball and not have everybody trying to develop themselves, you know, because when that happens, it just turns into a self into selfish basketball trying, you know, working, you know, everyone just trying to get, you know, put up stats and it just ends up in being this revolving door of guys trying to develop and then leaving and getting better on other teams or never developing and dropping out of the league. So I think you have to start surrounding these centered, like supposed centerpieces with better players to make it, easier for them and you know i mean you can't every every time down the floor julia Okafor can't be trying to post up from 15 feet taking people out and and he and it's just i mean you can tell he's got great talent on the offensive end he's like great body really athletic he can take you off the dribble he can shoot a little bit um but you know it ends up he has to get the ball in better places and a smarter point guard like i would have liked to see like maybe what what would have hurt to brought in like Andre Miller? I mean, he probably didn't want to come, but someone like that who can who throw knows money to... at him. Somebody call them on the phone. I mean, th- that's what they did with Elton Brand. Yeah, and that, like I I think having those types of guys around is a good way to start building up a better culture. And I it's just it's tough right now. Like from a theory standpoint, it makes sense what they're doing because they're gonna you know there's no real point to being in that weird eight to 15 range of picks every year. And that's what the bucks have been in. And we got lucky one year and picked up Jabari and Giannis back to back, which got so lucky doing that. But, um, you know, you're not really going to get a, you're not usually going to get a franchise player in that range. So it makes sense. You're going to, I mean, the talent they have is like the young talent they have is the Sixers have is pretty, it's great and it's exciting, but, it's isolated. Yeah, and they're not gonna. 
you know, them developing with themselves or whatever, like they're never going to start playing really good NBA basketball together. And they need some help from more veteran players to kind of guide them along and make it easier for them. As opposed to having this, this entire team of young guys, uh, Jerry Colangelo comes in and the first thing he immediately does is addresses the culture. And you said it, you know, we've got a bunch of young guys, 20, 21, 22 year olds, just playing a whole bunch of selfish basketball, no veteran leadership, nobody to look up to, you know, maybe at least have a, at least one player who's 30, Mm -hmm. 30 years old, who's at least been to the playoffs once or twice, who's able to say, Hey guys, calm down, relax. We got this. Hey guys, keep your heads straight. Hey guys, it's the fourth quarter. We're up by two points. This final possession is big. Let's focus on it. There's just no one on the team Mm -hmm. right now who serves that purpose aside from Elton Brand. Yeah. And I mean, along those lines, like if you know your franchise isn't trying to win, you're what type of basketball you're going to try to play. You're not going to try to play winning basketball, which whatever that might mean, but you're going to just say, all right, we're fourth quarter up by two. I'm just going to try to get some points here, make myself look a little bit better. You know, it's, it's not going to, it doesn't it doesn't nurture that young basketball exactly. talent and get them from young talented guy who knows how to shoot some shots to I'm improving my basketball IQ and understanding about the game and understanding of it on a rational level. Mm-hmm. That's not being developed when the veteran leadership that Hinky is bringing in are cap casualties from other teams that he's just bringing in to get to the salary cap floor. I mean, those are not the veterans that you're looking for. Yeah, you don't want to be playing that game or every year just signing people to meet that floor. And we saw um, it with JaVale McGee. Carl oh. Landry was that guy this year. Last year it was Jason Richardson. I mean... Yeah, I mean, it just ends up being this like vicious cycle of... you don't, It's going to be hard to bring in people that really want to play on this team. And you have to, I mean, it's just, it's so hard to get out of this rut now, I think. Where, I mean, God bless people like, like, like Elton Brand. Yeah, I mean, whatever he can come in, if he's willing to do that. But it's, you know, he might as well just cash his whatever $4 million paycheck, whatever he made. And then just get out of the locker room, let these young guys do whatever they're doing and just get home. And I mean, his job is to sit in that locker room applauding people like, good yeah, hustle, good hustle. <laughs> which can't be that much fun if you're him. I mean, um, I, mean I, I think they said to him, you're going to play this role. And also, and part of that might be laying the groundwork for a front office job or a, mm-hmm, or, that's or a future coaching yeah. job. Like, I think, that's, I think yeah. that's like how players make transitions into jobs like that. Maybe they sweetened the deal for him and said, you, you come in here for a couple of years, do whatever you can do, and we'll give you a little... little assistant coach job later yeah. on yeah i know like there's that, collective know? bargaining things but i don't think there's anything that says he can't do that mm-hmm. no a little under the table deal or something you know never <laughs> yeah yeah you know off the record yeah, yeah. on the qt very hush hush right now is there a future cornerstone piece on the team and who would that be or who should it be I, that's a big question. I mean, I, so give me Kevin Durant. <laughs> well, that would be, that could do something for you. Um, are you talking about someone on their team or just someone? Yeah, like, let's, let's say someone on the team, someone who's there. So 
Yeah, I mean, I do like, I mean, Nerlens Noel is a guy that will always be valued on a team. And if he, I mean, he just, he is, reminds me so much of Tyson, Tyson Chandler. You know, that type of big, good, big athletic center who can run the floor. And is a blocking, rebounding machine. And can, physical. Yeah, physical and can run the pick and roll and, you know, catch an alley-oop or whatever. Um, but he's not going to make your team. Like, he's not going to be, like, a cornerstone of your team. You know, he's, like, a really valuable piece. And he, I mean, I could see him being, a, like, a really good player, like, a, you know, a starter on a really good team, you know. I mean, the stuff that he brings is kind of, per- it's, like, kind of the center you want right now. If your center can't shoot threes, that's the center you want because he's going to defend the rim. He's not gonna. He doesn't need the ball in his hands. Um, he's not gonna want the ball in his hands. Yeah, he's just he's just there to play some defense and block shots. So it's kind of a good guy to have. You know, you could almost call him like a watered down Roy <laughs> Hibbert. You know, it's it. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. They're not exactly the same thing, but they've got the same game. He does the same kind of thing. Yeah. Um. So I mean, I, there's no. He's a guy that you want on your team, but he's not gonna really change things unless your team. Like he'll get better as your team gets better. You know, he'll be he'll provide more value with a better team i mean he so, kind you know, of right reminds now, me of like he, a samuel d'alembert sometimes yeah yeah so he can you know he can play a big role on a good team but you know he's not going to be the guy you say all right we're gonna you know build our team around nerland's noel um we need to win this game get out of the way and give me the ball <laughs> yeah, start giving an iso or something That's i don't know if we're at that do. point yet no i don't think so i think i think jaleel I mean, he's the favorite right now. We've seen him play. You've seen him play. I think he's the favorite. If I had to bet on somebody, I bet on him to be, you know, your guy down the stretch. But the thing is that the NBA is going a different direction than that. It's true. So, I mean, if Jaleel's outside shot evolves in the pros, I mean, that's what it has to happen. I mean, that's what like that's what Chris Bosh had to do to play on the Heat. You know, like that's just what. It was just what how just started happening a few years ago, and all big men are like, "Crap, we got to start shooting threes, I guess." Like, um, oh darn! Yeah. So, um, screw the of, free throw. Let's practice yeah, the three point shot. Three, yeah, but I think in terms of talent, he's the guy you'd say, "All right, well, we've got Jaleel here. I think he can be our best player on a you know playoff team or whatever." Um, but it just get. You have th- your three best players, your or your you know three potential cornerstones or whatever, all big men, mm-hmm. and you kind of need three point shooting point guards and good wing play to mm-hmm. compete with every other team in the league now. Yeah, or or the Warriors, you know, it's like the Warriors yeah. are kind of the gold bar, and sooner or later, I think Hinky is trying to sort of hit a home run with one of these draft picks and. You know, kudos to him. I think he has drafted in the way of what has come to him. And in mm-hmm. both of these drafts, the most the, the most talented person on the board when they were up and picking was a big man. I, I think yep. there would I think there was a strong push for the Sixers to pick D'Angelo Russell in last year's draft, but the Lakers got him with the second pick. I mean, what are you gonna do? Yeah, I think he would have been a nice. I mean, he, he would really have, that would have been very exciting. I think he that would have, have been a perfect some, mix to have with Nerlens. Yeah, and, and have someone running the floor, and um, you know, it's too bad, but you know, I it's 
it's true that Hinky has just said, I'm going to pick the guy with the most value right now that I yeah. think. And, you know, I think of if he's allowed to do this for, as you know, as long as he's they're letting him. Yeah. I eventually I, you've got to think he'll hit, you know, he'll get a, you know, maybe this year Ben Simmons or someone yeah. like that. Yeah, really that's, you know, and Ben things. Simmons still kind of a big guy. Kind of but... a big guy, but I think he is more of like a modern big guy where he can handle the ball and distribute and bring it up the floor. He can't shoot. He can't shoot at all. Yeah, that's, I've been, I've been watching that recently. Um, There's a lot of that. And his team isn't good either, but, you no, know, I mean. No, it's not. <laughs> theoretically, like, someone like that where you're saying, all right, here's a once-in-a-decade player that, you know. Go get you him. Miss, you missed out on Anthony Davis. Mm-hmm. You missed out on, I guess, Wiggins. And, yeah. and he's not really that player. But, you know, it's just like, it'll happen eventually, but it's how long you can have a team. Be this bad? Yeah. And it's, <sighs> it's... you start losing fans. You start, and the thing, like, you start losing, like, kids aren't going to be fans right now. Like, they're not going to watch this team. No, they're not. There's so, no, there's no, any, there's no the jerseys road. to sell. Yeah, like twenty years down the road, all the kids that grew up in Philly are gonna say are gonna be, you know, they're gonna be what, very blah about the Sixers. Yeah, they're not gonna be. Yeah, so it's like you're just gonna start losing your fan base, and it's just it's from, toxic. Yeah, so it's just a, it's a tough. I mean, I know the like I understand the theory of what he's trying to do, but it's just when you apply it to a real team, you can't quite make it work. Yeah, you're you're taking a you're taking a paper model. And mm-hmm. you're making it real. It's it looks a lot better on paper, and and we get it. I mean, from a financial standpoint, it, it all makes sense. Yeah, I get it. I understand it. I, you know, I and I was on board for uh, for two seasons, but the last season, I mean, it's just been it's rough to watch. Mm-hmm. And you know, you and I, we were discussing before we listened to a lot of Bill Simmons podcast. Uh, not that he's attacking the Sixers, but he's not shy about sharing his thoughts about them tanking. And, and you know, it's built a reputation across the league now of what they're doing and how they're approaching things. And also, other GMs now know how Sam Inky is is operating. Mm-hmm. And they know what to expect when they're working with him. And I don't think that deal, when he traded Drew Holiday and there was this whole thing about how they kind of hid the the the, the injury history of Holiday... You know, he might have, Hinky might have burned a bridge or two when he did that deal. Yeah, I mean, I think he's definitely, people are going to stop working with him. Or, mm-hmm. you know, you start realizing that they are, are, you know, just looking for, you know, assets and value and you can just start, you know, p- poaching talent yeah. off their team. And yeah. if you keep losing, you got to start building around something eventually. Yeah. You have to pick something and see if it works. And when that day comes that they need to actually go and find a cornerstone piece, maybe some of those GMs are going to remember how Hinky treated them the first couple yeah. of times around when he just went and, you know, took some assets and sent them a crappy, you know, second round pick or something. It's, uh, I just hope it doesn't come around, come around, come back around and blow up in their face. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, let's switch gears. Switch right. gears. Just get away from the Sixers. Let's see. Let's start. talked enough Sixers. A little depressing for a little, a little while. Depressing there. for a bit there. So I apologize. I feel bad. That's, you guys. That is that is okay. <laughs> I'm also um, creating a little bit of a of a, of a segue so we can um, so I can cut it up later. Okay. Because um, I think I'm going to put a piece of that in the show. Uh, cool. But listen, let's okay. Let's delve into rest of NBA a little bit. Okay. So rest of NBA, uh, Kobe. Mm-hmm. Kobe, 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 Mr. Bryant. Yes. I, uh, so this is his farewell tour. Um, 
it's emotional. I think it's emotional. I think we're seeing a different side of Kobe than we've ever seen. Uh, you know, very emotional. He's crying. He's smiling. He's waving. He's acknowledging the fans, something I don't think he did as much before. He was the Black Mamba before. You know, he was much more competitive. Now he's saying farewell. I think it was a little telling that he, that he decided to retire into the season. Because I think going into the season, he was like, I can, I can do this, you know, maybe make it into the playoffs, you know, we'll have a good regular season. And then about six, six weeks into the season, it was like, all right, this is, this is not going to happen. But I ask you this, if, if Kobe decided to play another season, who would he play for? Uh, <laughs> let's say, you know, his contract's up and the Lakers are like, listen, we're going to pull up Brett Favre. We're not bringing you back. And Kobe's like, hey, I'm Kobe. I still got gas left in the tank. I want to play. You know, who would sign him for that last year for that miserable, that, you know, that, that, that Patrick Ewing on the Seattle Supersonics or that Hakeem Olajuwon on the Toronto Raptors? Mm-hmm. Oh, jeez. I mean, it's, I think... The only he would only go to a place where it's he has a chance for another championship, I think. Um, so he's not gonna end up at the Sixers if that's what you're hoping for. <laughs> no. Um, In my dreams. Yeah, I don't think that would be very good either. So, I mean, I don't see him going to. Uh, it's I don't know anyone any team that would benefit from having him at this point. I mean, I don't know what like. I don't really know what role he would play if he like he'd come off the bench and play like 15 minutes a game and try to score. Would he a even bit. want to come off the bench? That's the thing. He would want to start and like I think at this point it doesn't. I, I just don't see him playing for another team. I think he's he values his image as like a you know lifelong Laker. Um, pretty much you know, got a whatever. little bit of that Iverson in him. Like I can't come off the bench. Yeah, I think he's got that. He's still got that ego, and I, I mean. I could see him now. He's starting to play a little better. It's like he might like call off his retirement. I know, home. I know. I could totally see him doing I that. I could see him because he's starting. Like he's had a couple of good games. He's had a couple of good months here. You know, he's shaking. Just LeBron. pull Michael Jordan yeah. where he has a press conference and he's like, "I'm yeah, coming back next year." Yeah. Um. I, I mean, I can almost see that, but I don't know. I don't think he's gonna. I think he's done on the Lakers. I think they're gonna. I think they want to move on. It's time. It's time. They have some talent. They have some guys they want to see. You know, Kobe farewell tour is holding back these young guys. It really is. And it's like, it's kind of, it's, I'm enjoying the tour, you know, seeing him interact with LeBron and stuff. You know, that, that was, that was exciting. Them going toe to toe every yeah. night, guarding each other, going shot for shot. I mean, that was really fun to watch. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, they were putting on a show. I think they, they were making it a little easy on each other. Um, but I got, I enjoyed it. I still enjoyed it, and even knowing that, um, probably not going to see it again. Probably not going to see it again. You know, so it's it's great seeing you know, how much respect all these guys have for him. Um, but I just don't see him playing for the Lakers again, and I don't see him any other team really saying, "Oh, I think Kobe would really make us a better team." You know, I mean, even though he's a great player, he still can score in bursts, but like. He you know, he can't. His body's broken down. His body's broken down. He, he can't really, if he yeah. wants to, if he wants to do something like that, then they've got to monitor his minutes, a la Greg Popovich with Tim Duncan in San Antonio. Yeah, and I don't think he wants. He's if he's playing, he's gonna he's starting. He's gonna have the ball in his hands the whole time. So 
Yeah, he's like, get out of the way. Give me the fucking ball. Yeah, and it's it's too bad that I would have liked to see him on a better team. And then at the end of his career, kind of like Tim Duncan, you know, he's actually he's still playing for something. I think Kobe would be more willing to, you know, let someone else take over if he was on a better team and actually had a chance at something. But this is just kind of a nasty little situation. But still, I mean, it's like I am enjoying it, but it's also kind of like it's kind of icky. Like you don't really need to. It's kind of weird, you know. I don't because he's playing, and then there's pundits coming out saying, "Why is he playing?" Yeah, yeah. It's just it's not the way you want to see his career end, but. But he could kind of be like a like a Reggie Miller on the Pacers. You know, he becomes kind of the old yeah. veteran on that team with, you know, like Jermaine O'Neal and Jamal Tinsley and Ron Artest and, and Reggie Miller's just the old veteran stroking the three. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I just don't think that ever was going to be Kobe. And just and that's kind of what made him great his whole career. So I, we're going to look back on Kobe and say, like one of the greatest competitors of all time, one of the hardest workers of all time, one of the best scorers, you know, top three shooting guards of all time. And we're not going to remember this, you know, last couple of years where his team was horrible. You know, and, and he's playing for 20 years, but you know, the last two seasons, he's missed about 80% of those seasons. So was, there's yeah, like two true. lost seasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a weird, it's a conflicted feeling that I have right now about that whole situation. I mean, I know my dad's been a longtime Laker fan, and he hates it. He wants, he's kind of excited about the next wave of talent that they're going to have, um, and they're, you know, they're. I think they're in a good place. I mean, you're always going to be able to attract talent there too. You know, there's always that stigma about going to LA and, you know, playing with all that history and in in Los Angeles and. Could Dwight Howard handle playing there? <laughs> oh, I guess yeah. I guess he couldn't. Um, no, he could not. But to 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 articulate, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's not easy to go play for the Lakers. It's not the same thing yeah. as as uh, going and playing for the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah, I think like the Lakers and the Knicks are the two teams that you really have to want to have that extra challenge off the court. Where that extra like spotlight on you. Extra spotlight, extra pressure, and some guys love it. I think Kobe loves it. Has uh, has loved it his whole career. You know, Dwight Howard is a different type of player. He's not. You know he's there to kind of have more fun. Um, I I don't not like I I like that he's out there smiling and stuff, but it's just a different type of player. You know, not that cutthroat. You know, will stab you in the back to do it. You know, move move forward to his career. So you know, it's just Kobe is the Black Mamba. He is the Black. He got that name for a reason. And Dwight Howard is Superman. Superman. I, but yeah, I just named a hero and a villain. <laughs> exactly. I like that. This whole thing of Kobe going out the way he is, it makes me think of how superstars are supposed to retire. You know, they're supposed to go galloping off into the sunset, but I think it's very hard. It's very hard for these guys to identify when it's time. Mm -hmm. It's hard for them to accept that they're not the greatest thing in the world anymore. And it's hard for everyone else to accept that as well. And it's hard for all of us to even, you know, sort of look at each other and and look at our superstar that we love and say, listen, you got to go. And I think everybody would love that opportunity to go out like Peyton Manning, to be winning the Super Bowl on the final game of your career and gallop off into the sunset. But it's, I mean, it just is not always, it's not always in the cards that way. I think he was fishing around for another contract, you know, like. 
and it's like everybody all these great it's it's easy to say you know as a huge like Brett Favre is my favorite player of all time favorite athlete of all time and it's easy for us to say like you know you like you should know when you're you're done your your career's over retire make it easy for everybody but you see it over and over and over again that great players can't see that about themselves and you know i think the reason for that is that the thing that makes them great is their supreme confidence in themselves and yeah and you're never going to lose that even if you're going 6 for 26 every night and you're you're just saying, all right, next I'll get a next game or the next shot's going in. And, and, yep. And the, even if, they, you know, Kobe has had that his whole career. If he's, you know, he'll never back down from a shot, even if he's had, like, the worst, he'll have the worst game. And, that, I mean, that's why he's that's why he's the best at what he does. And he's, like, he's never backed down from anything. And it's a, I think that's the same across all athletes, all great athletes are going to have that same issue when they retire it's just an awkward transition for everybody like you said there um i i think inevitably all of them need to be knocked out in some way and i think if you think of the greats mm -hmm. the brett Favre, peyton manning michael jordan kobe bryant's the troy aikman's you know they get knocked out and hit so mm -hmm. hard or they have an injury or something that just that just damages their instrument enough that they just can't perform at the mm -hmm. level they used to perform at. And that, yeah, I think my favorite retirement story was Charles Barkley. And he had like a torn Achilles, I think it was. And he, he wanted to rehab and score like one more basket before he retired and he was he got he finally like rehabbed the injury and which is kind of admirable that he like he wanted to rehab that horrible thing but he came back and he was like telling the story i think it was one of those uh yeah yeah i, I think i've seen yeah. this before but go ahead, go ahead. He, he was he was like he got in the game and he was like running back and forth trying to get a basket and he like couldn't jump and he couldn't run and he couldn't do anything and he like finally got an eye like he was <laughs> somebody missed a shot and he said it came exactly to his hands and he like didn't get off the floor and he threw it right back up for a, a little layup and he scored and came right off the floor and retired and it was like that's kind of the perfect retirement i feel like you know you you you, you, you know i mean it's kind of weird but like you're just in there and you're just trying to get one more basket and then you come off and you feel good about it you know and like all right i'm done i did it on my terms i did it yep that's it. I and get to leave. It's now. nice that he could say, "I'm going to cut it off after that point," and not say like, "Oh, I, I just got a rebound and two bat, two bucket, uh, two points there. I'm going to keep going here and see if I can, you know, get ten and ten. It'll double double tonight, and then stick around a little longer." It's you know, it's like, "All right, I'm done." And then the organization and the coaching staff is like, you know, shh, don't say anything. It's like, no, 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 we're not offering you another contract. <laughs> yeah. No, no, so, no, we're not offering you another contract. No, it's over then. So. Yeah, it's it's nice. I think I it was Stan Van Gundy said his like his one of my favorite quotes of his is that the hardest thing to coach is an aging superstar. And 
I think I totally agree. I think the a good example of that right now is Dwayne Wade. Um, I mean, he's 34, but you see his, I mean, he's always had that, you know, aggressive athletic game. He kind of came from that Kobe generation. He is, he's similar to Kobe. He never learned how to shoot is a thing. So he's never, he's not going to have that old man game, which you kind of need. Um, that, uh, that Paul Pierce, that Paul Pierce game. You got to have the Paul Pierce game because that thing will last till you're 44. You'll be playing city league in your sixties. Kind of like. Kind of like your, kind of like your dad. You see, he can still stroke the, stroke the fifteen foot jumper. I was, I was talking with my dad yesterday. He's seventy plus years old. He's at the JCC with the guys. He's like, oh yeah, you know, I was playing with these guys, and then I hit about five shots in a row, and all of a sudden they needed to change the way they were guarding me. <laughs> yeah, I love. Oh, it's always funny playing. He's he's got the elbows working. He'll get you right in the chest and knock you off and hit a little jumper. I mean, he just gets it in his spots, and he just hits it again and again and again and again. It's it's brutal. Something that Um, I don't think Dwayne Wade's ever going to do. He's not going to have – I mean, he's like – I think by volume he's the worst three-point shooter of all time. I think I've seen that stat. Like, in terms of guys who've taken that many threes, he's the worst percentage ever. And so he's always just kind of lived on getting to the basket and going to the free throw line. And, and winning a championship in 2006 because because the refs decided yeah, to call every he, single thing that he he, t- he did. Every, you looked at him the wrong way and they called a foul yeah. on you. Um, oh, he was the Flash. Remember, he was the Flash. Oh, he was the Flash, and he was he was so fun to watch. I mean, I remember watching him at Marquette, and I he would play, you know, because that was just you know we'd see those games back in Wisconsin. Um, and I just he was just awesome to watch, but like he never developed that game where he can translate to an older age. And now you see it happening where they're they're really the Heat are really struggling to kind of move away from him and move and some, away from that style of game. Yeah, because that's not you can't. I mean, they're like a bad three point shooting team, especially since he's going to have the ball in his hands so much, and he's going to take those 15, you know fifteen to twenty foot fadeaway jumpers, which. You know, he'll get hot some nights, and you know he'll drop thirty on you efficiently. Where I look at that and I say, ah, you know, it, it's it's not bad. He's still he's still dropping makes, thirty yeah. points, but something like that is is still masking the truth. Yeah, and that's I mean that it keeps happening with Kobe too. Like he'll he dropped twenty six the other night, and he I think he's gonna come back for another year or something. He's feeling that now, you know. Uh, yeah. Um. So it's. That you know that transition when superstars start losing it and they don't know that they're losing it, it's impossible. And I think we're gonna. LeBron's getting there. Like I hit. He's the wear getting on there. I mean, body. last year he he dragged his whole team to the finals. So yeah, he's not there yet. But you know he's, he's getting not there. there yet. But you see it right. Like you see him playing differently. He's not. Yeah, you don't. I mean. He, you don't you know, see him driving to the basket good. nearly as much and punishing his body like he used to. You just you don't yeah, see him I mean, doing that nearly as much. I mean, as when he, he was to. younger, that the come from behind blocks, like he coined that as a you know he he's just crazy. I mean, he still will do it, but it's less, it starts being is more inconsistent as he gets older. And I think we're seeing that transition now. And I, th- I mean, the, the that Cavaliers him, team is not nearly as athletic as the Warriors. No, I mean. I don't know what they're a weird team. They, they and they looked they for they for a stretch they looked really good. I remember I, it was around Christmas after Christmas they had that they had a t- I think they got blown out on Christmas Day. Is that, Is that right? right around when they fired David Blatt? Yeah. So 
Um, I think, well, <laughs> they look good, like, right around there, and then they, yeah, and I, so it's hard to get a gauge on them, like, if they start meshing a little bit towards the end of the year, they could be scary, but, and I do think they're going to end up in the finals, right? I, don't I mean, think any it's the Eastern Conference. I mean, I keep saying, I yeah. keep saying on my show that the Raptors, the Raptors are, uh, are going to you know, they're going to be the wild card who's going to finish with a better record than the Cavaliers. I mean, the Raptors finishing with that better record is just, mm. I mean, it's a sneaky, sneaky pick. But the Raptors are the only other team in the Eastern Conference besides maybe the Celtics that scare me. And yet, the Raptors have shown me the last two seasons that they still don't know what the playoffs are like because both times they got bumped from the playoffs in the first round both years with home court advantage and Paul mm. Pierce single-handedly took them out. <laughs> Old, Old man game. man um, game. Just going yeah. to Brooklyn and Washington saying, get these oh. Raptors out of here. Yeah. No, I do like the Raptors. And like they're, they're playing a good, good brand of basketball right now, I think. Um, um, you got the Raptors and the Cavaliers in the Eastern Conference Finals. Who you got your money on? I mean, it's the Cavs, and it's because it's LeBron, and he's – I mean, he has. I don't know when the last time he and he's been in five straight finals. That's so like he's gonna, you know, until you don't see it. I just think. Oh, he's, and I was listening to. Uh, I told you I was listening to uh, Zach Lowe's podcast, oh, The yeah. Low Post. Oh yeah. He um one of his guys was mentioning how they don't even count what the Cavaliers are doing until April. Mm-hmm. You know, because it doesn't really matter how they're playing and until it gets to the end. And you see that look in LeBron's eyes, and it's just it's ready to get turned off the playoffs. Yeah. And the, that's that's all good, but you worry that they don't have. I mean, I don't see them having the. The reason they got through the playoffs is because they got better defensively when Kevin Love got hurt and Kyrie. Tristan was Thompson ended up playing more minutes. And Tristan Thompson got in, and they just like they just dragged the game into the mud. And LeBron Della Vadova. Della Vadova I mean, was I, oh. dude, I don't want to call him a dirty player. But one of those technicals, I swear I saw him clamp his legs on the other guy's leg. Oh, yeah. And then the guy gets angry, and Delvedova's like, huh, what? I don't, I don't know I what know. you're talking about. I, I don't know what you're talking a... about, Mike, because he's Australian. <laughs> oh, yeah, there you go. I like that. You got that knock, that lockdown. Um, you know, it was really that defense. That defense is what kept them in there, and, and then they just started circling around, around LeBron like Wilt Chamberlain. Yeah. And it, that, that was the only reason they actually had it. I mean, I think the Warriors were kind of thrown off by that game, and they, you know, they were down 2-1 and then just blew it out of the water. Um, but I'm still amazed that they won those games. I couldn't believe that. I mean, you know, Timothy Mozgov doing stuff. and like, <laughs> Timothy just... Mozgov has not played at the level he played yeah. at last season. Yeah, I mean, he just doesn't really fit in there. I think they, I mean, they had, they had so many big men. I mean, they still, they got rid of Anderson Vergeau and they still have more big men than any other team, I feel like. They're just loaded up down there and not like, only Kevin. And Lee. none of them seem to be able to play. Yeah, I don't know why. And, you, you know, the same thing happened to Chris Bosh when LeBron went to the Heat when they started playing together. Yeah, he turns into an outside shooter. And, yeah, but he was able to develop his game and he, like, under the radar, one of the better defensive big men in the league. In terms of maybe not shot blocking, but you know, being able to guard the pick and roll, being able to be you know good positioning, not fouling, and he he's a great defender. Kevin Love never has been a good defender wherever he's been. He's been a guy, and that so this is kind of the, that kind of 
people call you know we're talking about kevin love here yeah is is was he great in minnesota because he had a lot of opportunity or, or great stats on a bad team all great stats on a bad team and then he gets on a good team and he can't really fit in and i mean you don't want him to be a three like a corner just stand in the corner and shoot threes guy because you know he can do more than that but he gets you watch the calves and like he'll get the ball and he kind of forces it you know when you're playing pickup basketball and somebody's hogging it the whole time and then you finally get it and you just feel like you have to do something with it so you throw up some crappy shot and then you don't get it back you know like you feel like you have to and i think that's what kevin love is feeling because it's different lebron it's you know it's lebron is a like one of the probably the best team basketball player of any superstar like that ever you know there's, ne- there's never been a player yeah, LeBron he's always been a pass first guy even from his very first year he was kind of like a Magic Johnson yeah. pass here pass there his first instinct is always to try to pass and he never he never he's always been pass first he's always been crazy efficient the heat teams like he would shoot he would only take shots like really good efficient shots he would you know they I I still think that team changed the NBA because that was the first time that it was all right LeBron we're going to put you on the floor with four three-point shooters and you're going to facilitate and they're all going to shoot threes and people were kind of weirded out like you know why are all these guys shooting threes and like what's going on but like that's what the NBA is now and that was 4 years ago that happened and Dwayne Wade kind of fit into that but like he wasn't you know, it, he kind of was awkward. Like he would take over for a few minutes and score. But the the real, they kept bringing in shooters. They had so, and Chris Bosh figured out how to shoot. And that I Ray think that, Allen. They had Ray Allen. You know, Mike Miller. All these guys could he would just surround LeBron with shooters. And now that that's what the NBA looks like on every team. Um, that's I always thought that, and I mean, and you're right about the way Dwayne Wade is not fitting in because now, as we're talking about. That that Heat team essentially was four years that LeBron mm. was on the team. They went to the finals every year. I think about how Dwayne Wade felt felt out of place, I want to say year two, which I want to say is the first year they won the title. Mm-hmm. And then in year yep. three, when they won again, that Wade was not as much of a big three contributor as the other guys. Now Bosch was certainly, but he was still, you know, still doing his job. You know, we just forgot him because he's Bosch, but he was still doing his job. But I think in year two was when they broke the mm-hmm. the record for winning streak or like the longest winning streak in history. And I remember yeah. Wade missed quite a bit of that winning streak. Like he was sitting out games with knee issues and coming back in later. Mm. So even though they're on this winning streak, you know, he's only sort of a part of it. Yeah. Yep. And And then I remember LeBron shouldering more of the burden because Wade wasn't playing. And I think there was a little teensy-weensy bit of resentment in the back of his mind that, you know, he's got this feeling of like, hey, I'm here so we can all play together. Mm-hmm. And now it just feels like everybody needs me to do everything all my my by myself all over again. <laughs> yeah, and it's just, I think it's hard... Like so, what I think I got off track with LeBron is we get off track on this show. It's great, I love it. Um, Le- but I, you know, LeBron is like a great team player in terms of you know his he's one of the best players of all time, and he's the most unselfish 
player of that group, I would say. And maybe Magic Johnson is similar, but I think it's also hard to play with him because he is a small forward, power forward, and he has the ball the entire like he's gonna have the ball the you know every possession pretty much, and you're not gonna if you don't if you're not a spot up shooter, you're not gonna be doing the things that you're used to doing because Kevin Love was the guy, he would get the ball every time down the floor and he would isolate, post up, run pick and rolls, you know, pick and pop, shoot threes. And he, now he's been kind of, even though he, sh- like he should be good at what he's doing now. And he, I mean, I think sometimes you'll see at work where he's, you know, kind of the off ball guy shooting, but he's not used to that. His whole career, he's been the main focus. And that, you know, Chris Bosch was the same thing coming from Toronto where he was the main focus but he first I think the reason he fit better than Kevin Love is fitting right now is because he was a he's a better defender he I'm not sure why but it seemed like he was able to accept the fact that he wanted to play I think he's a more cerebral player than Kevin Love I think he's you know I've heard him talk he's really smart um he understood what he needed to do and he needed to not he needed to accept that role for them to work because you know, you know, in games where LeBron was out, he would take over and dominate the game like he used to be able to. Um, but he, when LeBron was playing with uh, Chris Bosh, he would be the guy. He kind of he would play center, defend really well. You know, he'd get the ball when LeBron was out and stuff. But he would still be that kind of spot up guy, and he accepted that role. And it seems like Kevin Love's having a harder time doing that, and he's not as he just doesn't fit in as well. For I some know there's reason. something almost a little off about him. But look, listen, I want to like mm-hmm. Kevin Love. I, I want to like him as a player. I want to like his team. I want him to fit. And all of this on paper, it sounds like it should work. However, everything about it seems like it's not working. And the thing that really makes me scratch my head is why Kevin Love and his team, I would imagine his agents, his people... Uh, decided to re-up with Cleveland. I mean, I don't know why he re-upped with Cleveland. I mean, yeah. uh, if there was a better option to get out of there, I mean, I'm sure they would have taken it. I'm sure, you know, they could have found a team in the offseason, but maybe there was a little bit of an under-the-table handshake deal that if they brought him to Cleveland, he wasn't going to leave after one year. You know, maybe they felt that, you know, he, they're not going to trade him, he's going to sign an extension and stay here. But listen, if he wants to get out of there, he can get out mm-hmm. of there. So the idea of him staying gives me the sense that maybe he does like playing there. He does like playing with LeBron and Kyrie, and maybe he does like having a big three, and he's just going to stick it through all of this. But I just I don't know. I mean, on the surface, this doesn't look right at all. And why the hell did he decide to sign on and stay with all of this if it's not working? And they're talking about trading yeah, it. I mean, he keeps. I think he really wants to win, and he's saying, you know, I've never won anything before. And this team is the most likely. I mean, he's not an idiot. You got to tell yourself the Cleveland Cavaliers are the best chance I have of getting to the finals in the Eastern I think, Conference. I mean, it might be the best chance for the next couple of years to get to the finals every year. I mean, you know, you in the league. I mean, the Western Conference is. I mean, I know the Golden State's favorite, but those other two teams over there are going to be tough. So, you know, in terms of his teams, you can attach yourself to to get to the finals. And he, the thing is, he didn't get to play in the finals last year, so. He probably wants that experience, um, but I agree. Like, 
I don't know. It doesn't look like he's having fun. It doesn't look like he's enjoying what's going on. It doesn't look like Kyrie's enjoying it. And the whole team's kind of off right now. I mean, maybe it'll work itself out. I think the teams kind of go through that. And with that much talent, you know, if it clicks, it can be. And we've seen it being great this year. Like, again, you know, certain game, like every every so often or first stretches, they've been great. Um, but it's weird that it hasn't worked out. Because, you know, when I heard that, you know, the whole Kevin Love thing was going to come, they're all going to come together in Cleveland. I was like, that is like a perfect match for LeBron. because. That's the he is the offensive player that Chris Bosch turned into by the end of his by the end of LeBron's stay in Miami. And, and was, he didn't have to wait for it this time. It was immediate. Yeah. It was he's gonna shoot, he's gonna rebound, and LeBron's just gonna feed it to him and it's gonna be crazy. It's like it's gonna be efficient, you know, and it just hasn't worked. And it's just so hard to know why. And it just it looks like he's not being used the right way. Yeah, I think coaching is to blame for part of this. Yeah, and it's... And the Cleveland organization, I think, has made a lot of poor decisions in their time. And uh, that's that's one of the reasons LeBron left the first time. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, you want to look at the team they put around him during his first tenure with the Cleveland Cavaliers, you know, Sasha Pavlovich and <laughs> Booby Gibson, Vera oh, yeah. and... I could go on. Larry Hughes, you know, these were the guys they were bringing in to surround their superstar with. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I still think one of their biggest uh, missteps was hiring David Blatt. Or maybe not giving Blatt. It It was really, I mean, they had no idea LeBron was coming back to the team. And they hired David Blatt. And you know what? In a situation like that, uh, this is LeBron James. This is billions of billions of dollars coming to your team, coming mm-hmm. to your city. I would have just turned around and tore up that contract with David Blatt. I would have just ser- bought him right out of the contract that you just signed him to, and and just say, you know what, this is yeah. this is how it's got to be. It was a weird mix because I think if I remember when Black got hired, I remember people saying, I don't know who it was on ESPN or whatever, saying, uh this is the Cavs admitting they're not going to get LeBron back by them hiring Blatt. And then a couple of weeks later, LeBron comes back and it's not really the, I mean, it just wasn't a great fit. Like you could tell LeBron didn't want that as his coach, but, but you know, how does he say that without, you know, without showing the rest of the world that he's making these decisions for the team? Yeah. And it was a weird relationship for LeBron in Cleveland because there was a whole like narrative about LeBron having all the control there. And then Cleveland's the the organization was saying, No, we're in control. So it was almost it almost seemed like a statement that they kept Blatt. You know, that they said they were just saying, We're gonna keep Blatt because if we get rid of him then it's like, oh, LeBron clearly is running this thing. Um, and that's that's not that's that's not how we which, do things here. Yeah, I know it's just like a horrible power. And that alone tells me that there's something wrong. Like maybe this is all just mismanagement, mm-hmm. and that you know we're what we see on the surface is not really what's going on. But listen, let's just say that we're right that this is mismanagement. That sounds toxic. That doesn't sound like the San Antonio Spurs. 
No, there's none of that going I on. I think the Spurs are all on the same page, and they don't care about who's in charge. All they care about is winning and getting Ws. And that's a culture that runs deep in San Antonio, and I think that that's a culture that Cleveland wouldn't even know where to start yeah, to get a culture I mean, like it's that. It's so hard to foster something like that, um, when, especially when you had LeBron leave and come back, and it's just it's such a... I mean, you know, if he's been there the whole time, but you can't blame him for leaving the first time. I mean, it's just, it's the same thing I think with is going on with Anthony Davis right now. I mean, he just signed a monster deal, but they're horrible. And would you, you can't blame him for leaving? Like after this contracts contracts up, like you can't you don't want to waste your you know prime years on just a horrible you know a team that's not going to go anywhere. I mean, just ask Carmelo Anthony about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. You know, and it, it it asks some very good questions, uh, you know, about these players. Like, like how much does loyalty um, really mean to them in every sense and, and in a dollar sense? Because some of these guys going to a bigger city might mean bigger advertising deals. Mm-hmm. It might mean winning a championship. I mean, maybe that's what they want. I mean, David West, uh, David West, took a significant pay cut to oh, come yeah. to the Spurs. I think, yeah. I mean, the Cleveland is up to get him too, right? And they were gonna pay him a ton. Yeah, they were gonna pay him, but he was like, uh, uh-uh, uh, uh, uh. Go to a fun- like a functioning franchise and actually have you know, see your talents used the right way. It's like it's like everybody there wants to win, and and I don't think we can ever discount. David West wanting to go to the Spurs, you know, you know, to, um, to, to go to work to an organization every day where clearly everybody is on the same page. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've lost what, 10 games this season. Yeah. They've got to feel pretty darn good, you know? And he's kind of like, I played six minutes tonight, got a couple of rebounds, hit one of two from the free throw stripe. I mean, <laughs> I'm all good as long as we're getting the W. Yeah. I mean, what? Yeah, you, and, you just and with know a team like that, you're like, oh, well, you know what? It's, we've already won the division. You just feel. I mean, it's got to feel good, come, you know, being just being a part of something functional and that make it seems to be. It seems like your contributions are actually going towards something. You know, that's it. Just feel. It, it's just an easier situation than, you know, where you might not be appreciated or you're, you know, everything is getting flipped upside down on you every, you know, every couple of weeks or whatever. You know, I think about the strong culture of the Golden State Warriors, and then I think about mm-hmm. the Minnesota Timberwolves' lack of culture. And I think that maybe, you know, maybe everyone's on the same page, but they were losing, so even being on the same page doesn't necessarily matter. Uh, but, you know, many players will tell you that, that winning cures everything. So even though Cleveland is sort of this hotbed of dysfunction, mm-hmm. at least in my opinion, winning still cures everything. Uh, yeah, you hear that all the time, and everyone's happy in the locker room, but that's the weird thing. The Cavs, you know, they were winning, and then they fired their coach, and they got not, better. They got. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the team the lo- on the floor got better, but also the ambiance in the locker mm-hmm. room got better. Well, Tyron, Tyron Lou, or whatever. I don't. Know, I've I've heard the name pronounced a million ways. Um, <laughs> close enough. Yeah, I'll take it. Uh, but he's he's definitely a player's coach, and he's he was there because he was gonna you know, be a guy that the players respected and it was, you know, hopefully going to make it better in the locker room than what it was, but it still seems like they're not gelling at all. And like, you know, in terms of how they're interacting and, um, 
some of the teams are losing too. It's just, I, I do think they'll figure it out. Now they're going to, they'll put up a fight. I mean, any, any team with LeBron on it's going to, you know, show up in the playoffs. Yeah. And like when it gets to, I mean, we'll see what happens in playoffs. I mean, it's just going to be interesting. We'll just see what happens when it gets, you know, when the playoffs roll around. If they start playing a little harder, playing defense a little better, um, you know, kind of force themselves to play with each other, or, you know, accept their roles or whatever it's going to be. Like somebody just get me Phil Jackson. Go get a legitimate <laughs> coach out here. Just put him behind the bench. Yeah. Just draw up a few plays that are actually thought out. Mm-hmm. Get Rick Adelman in here. Somebody. <laughs> that would be Come nice. on. Yeah. That's the thing. It's weird, though. I don't think LeBron wants a coach like that. I think if, if he had the choice, well, I think if he had the choice to run the organization, he would just say, I mean, he would probably pick somebody like Tyron Lue and say, you're not going to, you're going to hear, you're going to be here and you're going to, you know, figure out rotations a little bit. And I'm going to run everything on like a, from a basketball standpoint on the floor. And because I think he, and I think it's evident in his career, but I think he know he's like, you know, knows how to play, but he knows how to create not a, an efficient offense. And like the decisions he makes every time down the floor is usually the most efficient decision in terms of like, you know, points per shot or whatever you want to look at. Um, I think he knows that. I think he believes that if he has given control over the teams, like basket, like the team from a basketball standpoint, he thinks he can. He can do it all. He can, yeah. L- like he doesn't even really want a legitimate coach behind the bench with him. Exactly. I think that's what he really wants, and that's why Blatt didn't gel because Blatt was a kind of hands-on, you know, trying to control everything type guy. Yeah, and I think Blatt was. Blatt was also, I mean, I don't, I don't want to call him a head case, but I think, I think we can say he was a personality. Yeah. Very big personality. And I listened to Zach Lowe's podcast where, you know, I'm going to give you two quick examples. Um, One where Zach Lowe was interviewing David Blatt before the finals. And he's like, so you're here coaching the NBA finals, pretty big deal. Do you ever think you'd be here? What do you think? And he's like, you know, I've coached in a lot of big games. This is not that big a game for me. I've, 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 I've coached a lot of big games. So Blatt's response to the question is like he's diminishing. It's like, dude, just just say, yeah, it's a big deal. But mm-hmm. instead, he has to be contentious. You know, instead, he has to take this huge game that they're about to play in. And he has to sort of bring it down to his level. He has to say, be like, ah, no, nah, I've, I've, I've sort of been in, I've done this before. I mean, he takes one of the biggest games that is out there in the finals and 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 he sort of makes it sound less important. Yeah. And the other example is when President Obama came to the opening day game, the uh, Bulls and Cavaliers in the season opener in Chicago, and they go to David Blatt and they say, President Obama's at the game, and he's like, well, I've been to lots of big games and there's been lots of big dignitaries at the games. Dude, dude, just stop trying to diminish the fact that the president is at the game and just say yes and we'll move along. Yeah, no, he's he's the guy that loves to bring out his resume. Yeah, and I still, even now, I still think he was in over his head. Yeah, and... He was he was in over his head, but he didn't think he was. Here, a couple of things I want to ask you before we go. Um, uh, so, real quick, tell me some of your history regarding the Lakers and the Bucks. I want to hear about this. Okay. Um, so, it really started with my dad, and he's in his late 60s now. So, he grew up listening to basketball on his radio, whatever, transistor radio in his room. Mm-hmm. And... 
the first, you know, the team he got to hear the most was the Lakers. He, they would be on the radio the most of any other team. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure about the exact era, but I think it was like the Jerry West crew, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, really good Lakers. Really that good Elgin team. Baylor type era. Yeah. Yep. Um, so he grew up Lakers fan. He stuck with that. And, you know, kind of as it usually goes, you know, the son is usually going to kind of cheer for the teams that his dad cheers for, you know, just mm-hmm. kind of how it works. So I grew up Lakers fan. Um, went to a Lakers game with your dad. I'm from, I'm from at, aware of this at the 76ers. So, you know, I had a great experience cheering for them. Um, a lot of fun watching Shaq and Kobe. I have a lot of fun memories with them. And I think as I got older, I mean, I was always kind of a Bucks fan too, from, you know, yeah. from Madison, always cheered for them also. But I think I was always more of a Lakers fan. I had a Kobe, my first basketball jersey was a Kobe jersey, number eight. Mm-hmm. Um, respect yep 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 and then uh i think as i got older i just the bucks had a couple good years they were bad for so long and it was so easy not to cheer for them you know and i feel bad about it i I get it i kind of hopped off the bandwagon for a little while but then they had brandon jennings and bogut yeah they got they had that i think it was like a 55 wins a year and they were like the fifth yeah. seed or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um I think bogut, that might have been the year jennings had that 50 point game exactly it was like i think it was jennings rookie year bogut was like having his best year of his career mm-hmm. and then bogut like snapped his arm in half like at the end yeah. of the year and then they lost and he came back but they lost in the playoffs yep mm-hmm. and so they kind of went downhill and then but that was like kind of that re you know it, it reinvigorated a- my fandom for the bucks and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and you what you know it's it's your hometown you want to root they're a little bit of an underdog franchise yeah small city it's like it's always been you kind of you want them to be good but they're not always great and you just yeah. cheer for them so but i think it was like i guess it was that and then through high school and college i just i really paid attention to them my my interest in the nba kind of got I I started being fascinated with like the off season moves mm-hmm, and the whole mm-hmm. like salary cap and how yep. you best like being a part of a you know a small market team like how do you you know create a good culture and a good mm-hmm. you know a good franchise so I I just started you know I got really interested in that I um you know started learning more about the NBA and then finally they had some luck in the draft and it's been it's been a it's been a tough but it's been a really fun last few years with the bucks mm-hmm. so and then the lakers have been you know a huge mess yeah so you know it's i've kind of transitioned back to a huge bucks fan yeah um, that's that's good and you know that's a team that's trying to put some they this has been a tough year really weird year but i it's i think it's kind of a normal stage because we've had a we have a ton of guys that can play and we haven't figured out figure out our exact rotations and mm-hmm. who needs to be our guy. And but since the All Star like this is since the All Star break, I've been Jabari Parker is turning into something here. Yeah, he is. And he I don't really know if you've is. noticed that, but he is he something happened. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was um that like rookie sophomore game or something, but his confidence level jumped through the roof. Mm. And I am just fired up right now because every time I look at the box score or watch a game, he is he's doing over something 20. exciting. He's doing he is dunking like he is he's so athletic. He's like dunking on people and stuff, and it's just like I've never I haven't had. And then Giannis is wild. And, yeah. Um. 
it's just fun having this like I know these two guys can be really good and I know we have a future with these two guys just frustrating not quite being there but I think in the next three years I think we'll be a like a force in the east I really do and you Um, uh you know this is it's exciting to see that something's getting built it's really and that it's really nice to have that and I feel like we've got good owners you know a good like a patient GM that's not gonna flip blow things up over. the team mm-hmm. um I like Jason Kidd as a coach he's been a surprise for sure yeah. I really didn't think any, I was not excited about that one I happened. mean after the one season in Brooklyn I was skeptical as well yeah but, he was uh, like spilling cokes on the floor oh kind of, my god that whole thing was ridiculous um no, but he's been great like I think the measure of a coach you know if you to know how well he knows basketball is the out of bounds plays yeah because that's the one time they really have control where they can just happening. drop a play and say do this right out of the timeout and sometimes you get easy buckets um and you know i think all, you see that with all great coaches that those are the times it's like the co- coaches are responsible for having a good team you know culture you're playing guys the right minutes and then drawing up plays when you need them to and i think i see all those things from him and not being for like he's bringing Greg, uh, Greg Monroe off the bench now, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and just as a you know trying to find a way to get this team to work together. And I really like how he try. He brings he he'll start different people and play. He tries people out a lot, mm-hmm. gives them gives them opportunities. So I'm really I think I'm I'm just like so excited about the whole thing now. I I I mean I hope I do think we'll be really good soon. Yeah, I I hope next season bodes. Uh, better for the team. I think that, you know, last season was a little bit of a step forward. This almost mm-hmm. feels like a step back. And I think it's a, it's part of trying to figure out how to fit Greg Monroe in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, to go back to Jabari Parker, like you were saying, I mean, Giannis is like a revelation. I don't yeah. think anyone was really expecting him to be what he is now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Jabari Parker, you know, to, he had an ACL tear. And I think that it really takes guys a while to get back to a hundred percent and to feel confidence in that injury. And yeah. I think that we're, you know, like the first part of the season, he was probably still recovering. To a degree. Yeah. I mean, this is really his rookie year because he did not play much. Yeah. And then he, you know, he's still regaining confidence after the tear and he's still, he was trying to figure out where he fit in and he was having like, you know, the, you know, balancing the injury against his kind of first real time playing in the NBA for extended period. And I think now he's settling in, and we're seeing what he can do. I mean, he can really he can really score, and it's really it's like I did not know what he was going to be, but he's like he's efficient. He can you know he gets the basket really well. Um, so it's and Giannis is like I've never seen any player like him. He's like another example of what's happening to the league. Yeah, and it's just these guys. You know, hey, it's like always funny when you hear about the guys that are like six foot in college or whatever, and then they grow a foot. And then that was... And like, all of a sudden their game has to change. Yeah, but like then it does... Like that's why Anthony Davis is so... Like that's why he has... I mean, you know... He had all great. the skills before he grew as tall as he He did. was a point guard and then he is seven foot now. You know, so it's just crazy. So I think, you know, seeing guys like that who are that big you you know you're not going to lock them into just posting up and doing a drop step you're going to you know make sure they can handle the ball and do everything and shoot and that's why europe they get these guys from europe who they don't 
They don't like. They can shoot. They can handle the ball. Yeah. They can do everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's the Dirk. We all want that Dirk. Yeah, everybody everybody wants get Dirk, that Dirk. So. Go find Dirk. Go yeah. find him and get him and bring him back. They go, they go draft people from Croatia and stuff, and the next Dirk and stuff. So it's always the next Dirk in the NBA, even if they don't find him. Yeah, it's tough. Frederick but, um... Vice. <laughs> Remember him? Remember Vince Carter dunking <laughs> over that guy? Oh my God, yeah. that was the New yeah. York Knicks drafted that guy. That's not the guy. That's not the memory you want of your draft pick. You don't want. <laughs> that is, you know what that guy's known for? Vince Carter dunking on him. Dunking over. Dunking <laughs> over him. The the end oh, of man. that of that poster or that posterization is Vince Carter with his oh, balls in that guy's face. Just all up on his all face. up on his face. Brutal. <laughs> you know there was some contact there. You know that that he, oh, felt, he felt it a little bit. Yeah, he felt some he balls felt some for balls sure. for sure. But, you know, listen, yeah. we're not pulling any punches here. <laughs> Sam's show or, or Sam's sports podcast, we don't pull any punches here. Yeah, no. Well, I think we talked quite a bit. This is great. Uh, I loved having you on the show, Ricky. This is awesome. We got to do this again. As long as you're game, I'm game. Let's do it again. It was a great time. Uh, all right. Is, um, is there anything you want to plug? Uh, anything in particular? Should we go to your Facebook page? Hmm, anything cool you're doing or just uh-huh. we should just check you out? I don't know. My my social media game isn't that good, but you know, if people start following me on Twitter, I can I'll get in some sports rants though every so what's often. What's your what's your Twitter handle? Uh so that's an issue. I don't know if I don't even have it. <laughs> so that's what I'm talking about. I think it's smooth Rick. No, it's no no, it's sorry, it's uh Rick underscore how. Sorry, I just changed it. I Rick have, underscore how. Yeah, okay. sorry. <laughs> I'm gonna come find you on Twitter. I'm gonna tweet right. at you. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll start doing some more sports tweeting. I like to do that. I get on some rants and um. I'll go yeah. on a rant or two, man. That's a good time. Sounds good. Well, let's do this again. That was a definitely, great time. Definitely, definitely. Ricky, my cousin, my brother from another mother. Thanks for coming on the show, man. Thanks, Sam. Wow, that was a fantastic podcast. Thank you so much for everyone for listening. Thank you, Ricky, for coming on the show. This was fantastic. I really appreciate everyone for sticking it out with all of the audio issues we had. It took me a long time to put all this back together, but the interview was just so darn good. I had so much fun talking with Ricky. I had to put it out there, and I had to make sure it was uh, it was uh, put out there for all time for people to listen to. So, as always, thanks for listening to Sam Sports Podcast. Find me on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Find me on Facebook. Like my page on Facebook, Sam Sports Station. And as always, email me at samsportsstation at gmail.com. I'll be talking to you real soon. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye-bye.